Welcome to the Flower Hour Podcast, the podcast where conversations blossom. It is your boy, Sean Flores. If you love this podcast and you've really enjoyed it, please share, subscribe and follow and look forward to the journey we will be going on. Hello and a good evening to everybody. Here Thursday, 8 o'clock, Flower Hour episode, is it 12 or 13 now? I think it's 13. But yeah, I'm excited because today I have on Jess Oslo, uh, student medical doctor. We're going to be talking about issues within healthcare, um, the medical field, her experience of being a doctor, a student doctor, just to make sure. So I'm pretty much looking forward to that. So I'll wait for everyone to just trickle in. We're going to be discussing the inequalities and just so much more. These are the kind of conversations that we need to have. So yeah, send it through to your friends, send it through to everyone. So yeah, I'm just looking forward to this. And I hope everyone's just doing well today and ready to receive the information, most importantly. That's going to be something that's key. Let me get my tea. Yes, got some alkaline tea, most importantly. Hey. Cheers. Cheers. I have my uh, bottle of water. Um, I have some alkaline herbs, you know, I've got to try and stay alkaline. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. I've got like a few notes, just like ready to, to chat just so I know my stuff before I go into this. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, I'm excited. It's, it's been a long time. I think the last time was years ago, right? Yeah, it was like, I think it's like two years ago. Yeah. We went bowling, right? With friends. I didn't go bowling. I came you came to the after. Yeah. I came yeah, to, yeah. yeah, I came to the meal. So it was quite good. And um, since then, I've seen the good stuff that you've been doing. So it's just important for us to have this conversation. I know you're, you speak out a lot about race in the mm -hmm. medical field and so much more. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself to the audience, my audience, your audience. So, yeah, go mm -hmm. ahead. Um, yeah, so I'm Jessica. I'm a medical student at King's College London. Um, I'm halfway through my degree now, so I've still got a few more years till I'm a qualified doctor. But um, yeah, and I've, I just like very passionate about widening uh, participation, widening access to further education and medicine in particular, um, and health inequalities as well. So things in our healthcare system or areas in our healthcare system that are failing um, and disproportionately affecting people of different ethnicities, backgrounds um, and so forth and how we can make sure that they don't continue to happen. Absolutely. And I think my first question has to be, why the medical field? You could have gone into absolutely probably anything else. Um, yeah, why yeah. the medical field of all fields? I think, I think for all medical students, it kind of stems from, you know, you like science at school, um, it was one of the lessons that I was genuinely excited to go to. I wanted to learn about science. I felt like it related a lot to our world um, and I could link it to my day-to-day -day living. And then obviously, you know, you get the grades and you're thinking, okay, well, science is my thing. Science and maths are my thing. There are so many degrees within that. Um, where do I go from here? And I think a really nice thing about medicine um, in particular is getting that work experience. So at first I wanted to be a vet. Um, I got vet. Uh, experience and I just hated it like 
operations on animals was just not for me um i felt like i was missing that disconnect i mean i can't have an animal as a as a client it's just not gonna work so i was like let me try this on humans and i went to do work experience at a hospital and a hospice so i got to see when conditions could be treated and when they couldn't and i just loved that i got to um find out about people's stories, talk to them, um, educate people on health as well. I think a lot of people go into medicine thinking as a doctor, you just diagnose, treat, diagnose, treat, when really you're educating people who may otherwise not really care too much about their health um, to make better decisions in life. Because ultimately that's what's going to um, ensure that you live a good, healthy life. So I like that part as well. Um, and my work experience was a big decider in that. And I thought it's a career that is challenging and I love a challenge. If I end up doing it, you know, on my graduation, I've got my outfit planned. I know I'm so ready for that day. So I actually managed to get there. Um, and it's lifelong learning as well. Like, you never mm. stop learning. You never, you, like, and you're always humbled. You think you know so much. You think you've got to the top of your field. And then there's new research or there's a new patient and you just have no clue where to start. And you're always drawing from your colleagues and your peers um, and learning more. So I really love that part of the the um degree as well and you always get to teach others yeah okay so you started off you wanted to be a vet and you realized yeah. that you couldn't have that connection with animals so i predict you're not a vegan by that stance um and then <laughs> so you saw that you could deal with humans more a better connection and has there ever have, have there ever been moments where you've doubted that the medical field especially with humans is the one for you i suppose definitely i think not only when you get to medical school, because I took a gap year. So the first time round, I actually was unsuccessful in all of my applications to medicine. And I think it dented my confidence a lot. Um, I had the grades, but it's just so much more than that. There's a lot of hurdles to jump through, um, hurdles to jump over or hoops to jump through. And it dented my confidence. I thought that I'm, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I'm not smart enough. Maybe I'm not good enough for medicine. Um, I worked in an NHS hospital actually as a healthcare assistant and I saw how hard it actually was to be part of the staff and not just a work experience student kind of looking from the outside in. And a lot of these doubts started coming through. So when I started medical school, I thought, you know, can I see myself working in the NHS? And like, I'll be quite frank, slaving away. Um, day after day um burning myself out for the sake of people's health or just being a good samaritan all the time um and that's definitely made me doubt uh the career sometimes and if i'm good enough um and able to like be strong enough to get through it but i think motivation and definitely being around like-minded people who also give you that motivation when you don't have it is really really important and how do you, because I know you do a lot, so could you explain to the viewers the amount of things that you do and how you're <laughs> trying to widen the medical field and make it more accessible to everyone and increase participation? Yeah, sure. So um, throughout my time at medical school, I, I realised how hard it was for me to get in. So obviously in 2016, I was unsuccessful in my applications to medical school. So I took a gap year, worked as a healthcare assistant, saved up money, um, took experience abroad and spent a lot of money on expensive interview courses and all of this sort of stuff. And I just thought, if you are from a poorer socioeconomic background, this is just not viable. So ever since then, I've been like a champion for widening participation, making sure that I'm going into schools to, for students as young as year seven to just get them thinking about higher education and letting them know that this is for you you know uh, we look the same 
you can do it. It's, it's for you. It's not just for um, the people that you think it's for. So I'm a student ambassador at my uni um, and I focus on student success and social mobility. Um, and I've also been the president of African Caribbean Medical Society, which is a society that was set up by black medical students to support aspiring black students getting into medicine, increasing representation, and also supporting those of us already there. Um, the amazing thing is a lot of more um, black students are getting into medicine. It's, it's a lot more comfortable for black students. Um, people are feeling a bit less isolated, but the fact of the matter is there are systemic issues um, and things stacked against us. And even me, I'm very aware that I'm mixed race. So I'm not even experiencing the true extent of how this, how these barriers um, are being put up to these students. So I was the president of that society. We ran a conference focusing on breast cancer in black women. Um, and I'll talk mm. more about like why the outcomes for those women are less. Um, and we do an outreach scheme. So we went, like I mentioned before, to students as young as year seven um, and onwards to get them thinking about higher education and medicine in particular. And I've recently started my website. So okay. um, plug yourself, I'm... plug yourself. <laughs> yeah, so I'm mentoring students for free, uh, especially those from non-selective state schools who've been attending these schools since age 11. Um, and just reviewing personal statements for free and trying to do my little bit to help students who literally have no one else to turn to, like much yeah. like I did when I was applying. First one in my family and only student in my sixth form. It's, it's a lot and you just don't really know what to do. So um, just being that support system for people to reach out to. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you've got your website. In 2016, you were rejected. You've been a student mentor. You're the head of um, the ACS for medical students. So you've got all of these achievements. Where do you find the time to be Jess outside of the medical field? I, 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 the work-life balance is a, is a sticky one because everybody thinks that you've got to have this like perfect balance. Um, when no perfect balance actually exists, it's always going to, you're going to have to adjust it depending on different things. So there are definitely times, um, especially throughout this year, where I was overwhelmed. Um, I had to delegate tasks and definitely prioritize my work um, instead of my extracurricular, um, which is great when you have a team behind you and when you have friends who can take on those responsibilities and also empowering people to actually take more of responsibility for their roles um, in the team. But I definitely always make sure that I give myself time to relax because at the end of the day, our mental health and our well-being matters most. Um, if you're not healthy and well you cannot do all these other things and the, all these other responsibilities you have and commitments you have mm. so weekends i usually block off for like me time seeing friends seeing loved ones um and just kind of planning out my days i don't like to wake up at like i just i don't like to wake up in a day and think oh yeah what am i gonna do today just just yeah. do nothing like fart around like what am i gonna do so i like to have i like to plan my days out i love to use calendars that sort of thing but weekends are always my chill time where i can kind of do what i want and also in evenings just to like wind yeah. down and stuff so finding that work-life balance and then your personal balance is just as important for your mental health and i think it's a very good point not many people realize that so we're going to get a little bit deeper and my <laughs> first question to you that i wrote down is going to be when we're thinking of the current the current covid covid pandemic it affected the black community we say that viruses don't discriminate but it did and i want to ask you what do you believe the reasons were behind this um i personally think that uh the covid outcomes just in case anybody's not aware so my understanding of it was because i um 
glanced over it was a long report it was about like over 80 pages long but essentially um during the pandemic black males were four times more likely to die than asian males for example and any other person and the black or black british ethnic group had the highest mortality the age standardized so depending on a um remote removing age um had the highest mortality per hundred thousand people and again 95 percent of doctors who died in the first month of covid were black yeah. and i just think this comes down to we cannot ignore it systemic racism and also the fact that that's ingrained so deeply in so many systems um in our country education black boys are three times more likely to be excluded than any other student at school um in our justice system where we again know that black men are more likely to be arrested or stopped and searched and our healthcare system is not exempt either and i think um these doctors were put on the front line without protection um we have a lot of bame doctors um working in poor conditions a and e's um not getting the shift requests that they wanted and also not being consultants so another statistic that i found is that the ethnicity pay gap is let's say relatively small one to two percent which is still not good enough for junior doctors and around that pay grade but as soon as you get to consultant level which is when you're a doctor who is top of their specialty for their field let's say white consultants make about five thousand pounds more than a black or an asian consultant any bme consultant that is really concerning and we start to think as well about the numbers there there are not many bme consultants when you look at the doctors in the hospital black doctors are hitting the glass ceiling and the fact that consultants get to work on weekends and have this more flexible work shift meant that all the black doctors who were not reaching those consultant levels could not say i can't come into work could not say i'm going to take this day off they were forced to be put on the front line without the right protection so i feel like that contributed to death um and it was it just wasn't good enough in terms of um the community and society in general um it's about accessibility black people um have been there are these are more this is more anecdotal evidence so people from stories that i've heard um stories that i've read online that you know black people are not taken seriously that they have higher thresholds for pain like absolutely ridiculous assumptions that our medical professionals are making um and this this unco unconscious bias is really affecting the way that we give healthcare to these people and covid19 highlighted this really really badly and i think our government should be ashamed and i think they are i think you made so many points that relate to the racism that we have in our society we know that for example black people are more likely to be bus drivers more likely to work mm -hmm. in retail jobs more likely to work in customer facing roles yes. or people facing roles and i it goes on to ask i think when we think about decolonizing we think about decolonizing education we think about defunding the police but where's this idea of decolonizing the healthcare system yeah. so when we think about um the medical experiments you've got the experiments in america with the tuskegee you've got so many other experiments with the yeah. human zoos in belgium and even in london the way that gynecology was founded and when we think about it do you not believe that there needs to be a decolonization of the um, healthcare system in order to allow people from a BAME background the freedom and perhaps the opportunities that are present. And why I say that is because I remember Trevor Phillips once said that, used to use the term glass stealing, and he used the yeah. term snow capping. It's literally because yeah. it's white. The pyramid is all the way down. So yeah, that's my question to you. Do you believe that we need to decolonize the healthcare system and the medical field? 
Absolutely. Um, I'm in my third year now. And I remember this year I was particularly annoyed because um, I had a bit of dermatology, which is skin, uh, learning about the skin. And I was in, I'm, I'm placed in a South London hospital, Brixton to be exact. I'm at King's College Hospital. That's where I'm placed for my placements. I'm getting a lecture by a white junior doctor on skin conditions and not one picture was black. We are um, in South London. We're in Brixton. And you know what? Full stop, we're in London. Okay. Majority of the people here that we're serving yeah. in our community are black. How can you not show me eczema on a black person? Is it, and also the fact that it's eczema black, that all that's all you need to type on Google. I'm tired of us being an after, afterthought. And I think that we really need to be, as black medical students, speaking up about these things, raising concerns, providing feedback, saying you need to include these images in this curriculum. Um, one of my friends, actually, his name is Malone. I'm pretty sure like everybody's heard about him by now. Yeah, so mind the gap. Get him on. Get him on here. He'll be yeah, amazing. Listen, I've been trying to reach that guy and I can't. I think I found his Twitter. So you got to plug me. Yeah, I'm yeah. Get him I'll on send, here and have that conversation. Def, definitely, I'll send you his Instagram. But he's like created an amazing initiative that all of us have Absolutely. just been waiting for, um, and not had the opportunity to do so. All the contacts where, you know, for once during BLM, this this the the tragic death of George Floyd, people were listening. People yes. were more hypersensitized to hypervigilant to racism than ever before. White people were listening. They were posting the black squares. They wanted to educate themselves and find out more. It was great. And it was a time for us to start shouting, look, if you want to listen, this is what we've been telling you. And I think it's great that he's made this book called Mind the Gap. Um, and he's, um, it's not come out yet, but it is in the process. And that's going to show all of these different conditions on black skin. Um, and just what we've been waiting for. And that's even a step into decolonizing the medical curriculum. It Absolutely. doesn't have to be like, you know, protests and stuff. It just needs to be not making black people an afterthought. We have all these cultural competence lessons where we learn about different cultures and we, um, we get given, you know, these vignettes where we get patients of, you know, LGBT backgrounds or black, Asian, and we kind of do role play on how to deal with them. But it needs to be more than that. Absolutely. Like, these patients are real and we're not getting taught about conditions that affect them in the right way and it's leading to death. So, yeah, I think we definitely need to decolonise the medical curriculum and black students are doing amazing so far. Absolutely. And I'll probably the Instagrams. Yeah, oh. I definitely, I need to have him on because I've been trying to reach him for such a long time. And yeah. Francesca asked, how was gynaecology founded? From what I understand, yeah. that they experimented on, on a black African woman they did mm. all sorts of obscene things to her via sex, via instruments and so on. But you, perhaps you could answer that more than I could. I, I, I've read about this, but not in that much detail. It was, it was a medical I, experiment. I yeah, and was... It's called The Medical Experiment. Yeah, I haven't read the book, but I definitely saw an Instagram post about this um, and how it was founded. Was it founded in the US? I, I believe know. so, if I'm correct. And they travelled... They made her travel all over the world where doctors used to come and experiment on her. They used to do, as Deji said, no anaesthetic and so much more. And you made a point where you said that there's this idea that black skin, number one, is thicker. Black people don't bleed red blood. Or, for example, we don't have, um, we're not, we have a higher threshold to pain. So we've both agreed that educate, um, the medical field needs decolonizing. And, um, can you hear me? Yeah, I'm sorry. I was just typing. Okay, I think okay. it's James Marion Sims. I just searched it up. He was the surgeon who experimented, I think. Oh, perfect. It was, yeah, it was on perfect. slaves. 
Yes, and it was. I, I, I wrote about this. I'll, I'll have to send you the article. I think you definitely enjoy reading it. And I want to ask you about something as well. Has there been a time in the medical field where you've experienced overt or covert racism? In this respect, I'm glad to say that I, oh, not in medical school, but as a healthcare assistant, I had a particular patient. Um, he was a white old man and he was obviously in, or he was, he was very, uh, let's just say agitated. Um, he had Parkinson's, so they uncontrollably shake. And he called me a black bitch uh, mm. when I was trying to help. I, you know, what do you like? Do you want me to give you water? Blah, 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 blah. And he just said, go away, you black bitch. That, to me, has been the only overtly um, overt racism that I've experienced. Other things are a bit more implicit. So, for example, if I turn up in the hospital, um, if I'm not wearing my lanyard, uh, yep. are, you, are you a student nurse? Are you a student midwife? Not that that's any issue, but when I'm a medical student or saying I'm a doctor, it's like, uh, like it's a bit, they don't get it or they're confused. Um, and I actually do see in, in terms of nursing and HCA level, black people are in abundance, you know? Um, but as you get more, like say you're, you want it, you're a doctor, you're a medical student, um, you're met with quite, sh you're met with a bit of shock or like, are you, are you lost kind of thing? But um, yeah, that was the only experience where I've had overt racism nothing was done uh an incident report wasn't done um and i was 18 at the time so didn't follow it up um but now i would definitely and that's interesting because it seems as if these experiences have made you run more towards the medical field so other people don't go through it and that reminds me of a time when i used to ask my mum. so my mum was a head of a ward at queen mary's hospital and i used to yeah. beg my mum for all the stories and i remember i overheard her tell one of my aunties a story where she said, so she walks down the wards and one of the um, patient's mothers, um, patient's patient, a patient's mother asked for the head nurse in charge, walked straight past my mum, asked a white nurse and the white nurse points straight back at my mum. And the shock on their face apparently was unreal. And my mum said she experienced that her whole career. So as you said, it's always there's this presumption that perhaps black people are of a lower position within um, the medical field and so much more. Is there any obstacles that you feel that you will face as you try to move towards the top of your profession and when you do qualify as a doctor? Um, I think there's definitely barriers and I'm very aware of them. Um, but I think for any black student out there, um, especially if you're a woman, you, you cannot let it uh, frighten you um, or demotivate you. So I know, you know, for example, in sur I'm, I'm very interested in becoming a surgeon, doing surgery. I'm not sure which type yet. Um, I'm interested in obstetrics and gyne gynecology, which is a very women-dominated uh, profession. So I would experience less abrasion there. Um, but I'm also interested in things like orthopedics, um, where it's a very male-dominated profession, or plastic surgery. Um, and sexism is just as rife uh, as racism in mm. medicine. That's, that's for sure. Um, and things will be said to you. Um, I've heard that there are illegal questions, illegal questions that get asked you at interviews, such as, when do you plan to have kids? Are you planning to take maternity leave? I mean, that's not any of your business. Would you ask a, a man that? Um, and I think the, the medical profession is getting a lot more female. It's a 60-40 divide, I think, at the moment. Um, and I've heard older, older male professors and um, medics 
saying, oh gosh, like the medical profession is doomed. I've read articles online where it's doomed because there's too many women and they're all taking maternity leave and they're just going to cripple the service. And, you know, we should have a specific quota of female to male. So they're not going to take up space and just leave when they get pregnant. And it's just like, that's already a barrier. And then you're black as well. Um, where again, we're seeing this very alarming discrepancy between black consultants and black people at every other level. Um, it's getting into those consultant positions when we're just as qualified to do so. And not just consultancies, um, sitting on the board of NHS trusts, making the big um, decisions of like, all these puppet masters pulling strings, um, you'll see in these boards, and I, it's been a trend actually, you know, makeup lines, show us who's on your executive board. Um, hospitals trusts, show us who's on your executive board. And there's very rarely a black face, mm. very rarely. Um, and I think those are the barriers um, that we need to really, really be pushing through. And I think it's, that's why it's so nice to see that black students today, we're very much thinking in this mindset of letting the ladder down. So when we get into these positions, you may be the only black person in parliament. You may be the only black person in this executive board, but it's very important that you then provide, you become unfortunately a beacon for others and, same, and provide a way in. I think that's really important and I think it's just what we have to do. And I think that leads me on to ask you another question. Just how important do you think representation of black doctors or anyone black within the medical field is? Just how important is that? I think why I ask that question is it's a question we hear often, but I just want to hear your personal opinion, I suppose, on why you believe it's so important. I think it's so, I, I honestly think it's so important because when I've worked, like I've worked with a lot of students that say from the ages of like 11 to 16, um, 11 to 18. So in that secondary school period where you're very impressionable, you're easily influenced, you want to be, you, you seek approval, you want to be liked by your peers and you obviously want to do well and you know, you're starting your life. And a lot of the students I work with are shocked. Like, you don't look like you do medicine. You don't seem like you do medicine. You, you can't. It just doesn't make sense. You should be, you should have braces, glasses and be reading books all the time. That's apparently so. Um, and once, they only need to see it once where they're like, oh, do you know what? They were pretty cool. Like they, yeah, they were pretty cool. They looked like me. I want to do that. I, and even just um, speaking to students about more than what they're thinking so I spoke to a girl um she was very intent on being a midwife because and I asked her why and she was like oh I want to I want to help deliver babies I want to um do I want to get involved in helping mums deliver babies and I said well do you know you could be a doctor and actually do operations on women and help them deliver the babies and get involved in surgery and maybe even do research and she was like like doctors doctors do that and I was like yeah there's types of doctors that are specializing in delivering babies be a midwife or you like by all means but consider all of these other fields that you could also um, delve into. And I think it's important that as people who are black, who obviously relate to these students by just being black, it's important for us to let them know that even though there are barriers, there are things that will be stacked up against you, you can do it. And I think it's amazing as well to signpost them to people like Stormzy who are giving out scholarships. Um, yes, sorts of things. absolutely. Um, to help these students get into places where they deserve to be. Absolutely. And um, going on from childbirth um, and delivering babies, you said yourself you want to move into something that's very female dominated. And I read a statistic that um, 
black women are, have a higher mortality rate in childbirth, even though there's no evidence that they are more likely to suffer from complications. Black women are 71% more likely to suffer from cervical cancer-related deaths and 243% more likely to die of complications in pregnancy and childbirth. Just how alarming are those statistics? Yeah, um, so when I saw, so I knew that black women um, had a higher mortality than white women in general. And then I saw the um, MB, MBR race statistics that black women were five times, 200% more likely uh, to die than white women during childbirth um, and from complications. And it honestly broke my heart because we're, this is not developing countries. These, these statistics are not um, from places with lack of, services lack of staff these are from developed countries like the uk and the us and to be quite frankly it's disgusting um where these statistics really stem from so black women not being taken seriously again for pain or you know delays with epidural or just an avoidance of black women in general because they're aggressive or their partners are aggressive or let's just like kind of leave them alone it's not good enough and um Someone commented, it's based on the dismissal of pain and loads of black mums have been saying this for years and nobody is or was listening. Yeah, and it's just not good enough anymore. And that's why I think it's really important to have people who, from like black women in Obzingaini, black women looking after these women uh, and black midwives to actually know, you know, I'm an advocate for you. I relate to you and I'm gonna make sure that you get the care that you need. And also educating our white and non-black peers on just these women and are talking to these patients. It's, it's so, we also wait longer for consultants to come down and see us. It's, it's a systemic issue. And I think, I, I know I talk a lot about, you know, it, the onus is on black people, but it's actually on non-black people as well. I think we can't do it without them. They need to really get, get a grip, to be honest, um, and get educated and, it's that unconscious bias that is really difficult to tackle because if you don't recognise it, you don't bother to uh, delve deeper into it. And I think that's these are the kind of sessions we need to be having. What what thoughts do you have of black people? Why do you have these thoughts? And just you're openly you're openly critical. You're vocal. You hold nothing back. You criticise the medical field. Not many people would be as brave to criticise the medical field. And I want to ask you: Has there ever been a time that you were told to shh? keep quiet um actually no but maybe because i'm a medical student and i'm not seen as a threat yet um but i do have friends who are doctors and, and a lot more into their careers who've been told by other consultants and actually really hurtfully black consultants to be like oh don't post that about blm don't be too political and i'm tired of this um rhetoric that medicine's apolitical because it just simply isn't everything absolutely not everything about absolutely. it absolutely like yeah. how do you it's funded you know it's, it's not like rainbows and unicorns and we're good samaritans doing this for charity doctors get paid midwives get paid nurses get paid there's systemic racism running it's rife in the nhs um there's bullying and harassment going on a lot more commonly to black people and i think the more we keep doing this hush hush thing or don't post that on don't look like that um, just be apolitical and just not involved it's it's getting us nowhere the nhs has been like this for years now um it's only getting highlighted now but it's always been bad it's it's just getting worse and i think if we just keep going into these systems um where we're just going to be content with staying in a system that's literally crippling um or jumping ship then 
it will never get better and black people will die as a result. And I just think that's not something that I'm prepared to sit by and let happen. And a lot of other black students aren't either. And I think a lot of people would have been disheartened and disinterested simply by, first of all, the statistics, second of all, by the experience. And as I said before, it's pushed you closer towards the medical field. And you said that there's been, there's been times where you've had things, people say things to you. But then what advice would you give to other student medical doctors and perhaps even doctors in general who don't want to speak about what's happening and perhaps just want to keep their career nice and safe? In, uh, like, I, it was a big quote going around that, you know, stay, if you're silent, you're complicit. You know, you're part of the problem. And I don't like to point fingers at you. You're part of the problem. Having a, a nice dandy career is great, but you're doing it at the expense of people's lives. And as a doctor, I think that's very contradictive. Um, like it's contradicting you're there to save lives you're there to be an advocate for patients you're there to care about patients and to say that you just want to focus on your career and keep quiet and you know just go on like things aren't normal turn a blind eye you are leading to the death of other others no matter how indirect or far removed you think you are that's what that is doing and i think don't be afraid if if you if we don't speak out and make it the norm it's always going to be a hush hush you and i'm a person person who loves to talk about taboo issues let's let's get to grips let's talk about it you know um and it's happening right in front of our eyes if you don't talk about it it's never going to get solved it's never going to be um you're not going to have things like mind the gap that that book that's come out of this or you're not going to have students thinking oh uh, all these student unions being like you know we now want to support black students we now want to give you guys funding we now want to you know get you involved if we don't talk about it, if we don't shout, if we don't scream, these things don't happen. And I think it's it's a gear, for, it's like a vehicle for change. Discussion is a vehicle for change. Absolutely. I just want to say to everyone that's watching because everyone's really engaged. If they've got questions for Jess, throw the questions because we're more than happy to ask them. More than, more than happy because people have said quite a lot so far. And um, we were speaking about breast cancer, if, we were, if I'm correct, Jess, right? You said you were mentioning something about breast cancer. Would you like to go more into it? And someone just asked, what's this live about? So I'm speaking to Jess about her experiences of being a black um, medical um, student, medical doctor, um, her experiences in the medical field and the inequalities within the medical field and healthcare in general for people of colour. Let me type that for him <laughs> or her. I ideally, um... I should have typed it, but I try not to get distracted when I type. Oh gosh, I can't pin it, I don't think. Maybe you can. Um, yeah, all right. The Jam yeah, One. Right, I will I read that, that book. Medical Apartheid, it's a great read. I will definitely read that book. And thank you, if you're talking about me, Breath of Fresh Air. You're a breath of, breath of fresh air. Thank you for sharing your experiences. Um, Shout out to Decca. That's Decca <laughs> oh, right there. You two, you and Decca would really, really get along. Decca's one of the most vocal women I've ever met. I love it. I love it. We need it. Um, yeah, so breast cancer is another one. And also, if you're black and you're watching this and you're thinking, gosh, is there, like, you know, is there anything that doesn't uh, disproportionately affect us? These things will be changed. They are in the process of changing. But I also think, you know, it's good for us to be aware of them. If we're aware of them, actually, we can do a lot within our communities, which is when I'll, like, I'll speak about now. So um, as the president of uh, African Caribbean Medical Society, one of the things I wanted to do was spread awareness of um, health inequalities. And um, that was one of my goals. And I got in contact with a doctor. Her name's Dr. Georgette Oni. She's a 
oncoplastic surgeon, meaning that she's a plastic surgeon for those um, recovering from breast cancer. So she does like mastectomies, which is removal of the breasts and just aesthetic procedures to make women feel more confident as well. And we decided to do a um, conference on breast cancer. And she actually brought to me the statistics and the idea of like, I didn't know at all that black women were more likely to suffer from it. It's not something that I've come across in medical school so far. Um, the overall mortality for breast cancer in the UK has decreased. Um, and this is because of like greater emphasis on early detection, screening, better treatments. I mean, cancer overall, we're, we're a lot more on the ball with it now. It's a hot topic. We all know about it. Um, but recently, UK cancer uh, registry data shown that breast cancer incidence rates in the UK among Black African and Black Caribbean women um, are like going up compared to their white counterparts. So although the incidence rate is decreasing for this particular um, group, it's actually rising and they're more likely to be um, diagnosed with more aggressive forms. So there's a form called um, triple negative breast cancer and they're more, getting more diagnosed with this as well. So it's important that we know about the genetics behind that too, because we're, we're taught about BRCA1, BRCA2. I don't know if anybody's medically inclined here, but that's very much found in like Jewish ancestry um, but we need to look at the genes with black women as well. And it's also been found that a higher proportion of black women um, in, especially in London, do not go to screening. They don't take up their invites. Whereas white women, it takes one invite, they go. Mm. I don't know if it's the way the invite is written, if it's not culturally appropriate, um, if it's not reaching black women. I'll talk more about what black women actually had to say when they came to this event, but these invites are not getting taken up by women in black communities. And it's really important that we figure out why. So we ran this event in um, Brixton uh, at the, ho the hospital that I'm placed at, and it was targeted at BAME women. So white women were free to come. Any non-black women were free to come, but it was targeted at black women. It was called, let's talk about black women and breast cancer. And we kind of, we did, uh, we asked them to fill out a survey before and after the event. We asked them, what myths do you want addressed? And black women were not, they, they didn't know that they were more affected, which I wasn't surprised at because I, even I didn't know. Um, they wanted to know if there were alternative therapies, so natural remedies and things like that. Mm. They wanted to know if it was the food that we were eating. They wanted to know yeah. if wearing bras at night was causing them breast cancer or putting on deodorant. Is, is spray yeah. or roll on better? had myths and legends from all over the gaff like it was wild um and we kind of tackled them at this event and asked the women after how they thought the event was what they think can be done to improve breast cancer awareness and some of the really interesting things that came out was having black women in advertisements you know breast cancer campaigns we have this pink ribbon it's always on white women something that i never even noticed i never even thought to, it's just goes over your head but as a black woman who's probably suffering from breast cancer or in the recovery of looking at a campaign that's never featuring you it, you feel very far removed from the condition of course you won't think it affects you or saying that they want more events like this where they can talk to other black women in the field um, and get their opinions on it and get their um, advice on it because they feel more comfortable all of these sorts of things came out and we're hopefully going to publish that sort of data to make sure that it's out there for everyone to read um to encourage more interventions like that to continue but that was just one of the events we had and we got over five thousand pounds in sponsorship we had over 100 attendees and we really reached women from black women from all over the country and i really want to do more things like that so i'm currently the co-president of obstetrics and gynecology society at kings this year and i definitely want to do um maternal mortality 
for black women and get those black mothers in, speak about their experiences and encourage students and doctors to come and listen to these women's stories on a stage for everybody to see um, and, and really get people's opinions on why this is happening and delving really deep into it as well. And I want to ask you, so that you made a very, you, the points you've made, they cannot be denied, I believe, in any way, shape or form. And my question that I was, I was just typing as I wanted to ask you, with perhaps you said that some black women, most black women don't come to their screenings. With white women, they're more likely to come. You think about the pink ribbon with, um, you know, and so on and so on. It's only white faces compared to black faces. So I want to ask you, there's a distrust within the healthcare and the medical field. Why do you believe those reasons are with black women? Sorry to make it specific. Do you know, I think like you think you hear about all of these disproportionately um all of these conditions disproportionately affecting you you then go to um doctors and gp services and your experiences define how you interact with these services i have sat in on work experience or uh even placements as a medical student and i've not been happy with the way the doctor's interacting with people i mean being dismissive you might be having a bad day but being dismissive is an experience that will stay with that patient forever. You Absolutely. hear people saying, that doctor was so shit, compared to that doctor was really good. You either, these, these two sorts of experiences will stay with you forever. And I think, you know, you, doctors, that's where doctors are going wrong. It's so, it's so much more than this though. I get it, doctors are burnt out, things are happening. But sometimes it's also unconscious bias. And I think we need to kind of not, not beat around the bush and sugarcoat it. Um, I witnessed a GP, uh, not taking uh, a black woman and her, her black child seriously uh, because he had a rash and he couldn't see it. And I was just like, oh, can I look? You know, taking a bit more interest, being like, oh, really? Why do you think that? Medical students, please question your GPs, your doctors. If they're like, oh, I don't see it, I'm just going to give her a cream. Why don't you see it? Or why are you deciding to give her a cream? Why are you deciding not to do anything? And I think this is a, um, a thing that I've seen lots of black doctors sharing as well, especially when it comes to maternal mortality. If a doctor refuses to give you pain relief, if a doctor refuses to do something, please can you document, document that? Make sure you're doing that because we, we're doing these things, uh, some doctors are doing this for no reason and it's, and it's unconscious bias, that's the reason. And they don't realize it, we're not recognizing, we're not speaking about it. So um, yeah, I think, prior experiences of healthcare really affect how you interact with healthcare. And it's so sad because I know you, you remember those bad experiences. You know, you went to A&E and you were told to go home or you went to the GP and they were just like, you're wasting my time. They made you feel like you were wasting their time. One thing I'm, I'm really, really passionate about is mental health as well. Um, Absolutely. So I'm one of the managing directors for events for um, the BME in Psychology and Psychiatry Network, founded by Keisha York. She's one of my good friends. Also someone you should get on here. I'll Shout out. Uh, bring her on. Bring her <laughs> on. I'll have it. She focuses on getting black people into psychology and psychiatry because we need more black people in these professions. Um, black men are more likely to be sectioned, more likely to be given, um, like, very much given, like, schizophrenic diagnoses and things yeah. like this and not yeah. given the support to deal with these diagnoses. Yeah. So, um, and they have had, honestly, I went to, uh, we did an event addressing men's mental health. And at this event, I was, I organized uh, all the logistics and stuff. But when I was actually sitting and watching the event, the experience they have had with healthcare have honestly been despicable, shameful. And it, and it shaped how they deal with their own diagnosis of mental health 
and how they then interact with services in the future. And mental health is one of those things where you need to be having constant interactions with healthcare. You need to be staying in the loop. You need to be seeing your psychi psychiatrist or your counselor. Um, and if you had one bad experience, you will never turn up again. And that's why they have poorer outcomes and we shouldn't be letting that happen. Um, so yeah, it's, I think it comes from experience. It comes from hearing family and friends experiences and you just la you lose faith in the medical system. And I know how nice it is when black patients see you as a black person or just somebody who looks like them and they're just like, I, I, <laughs> yeah. Wait, yeah. Go yeah. ahead, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I've been in orthopedic, I went to this orthopedic clinic. I just kind of um, turned up there and he was a, like a young black guy, 17 years old, had a broken wrist, um, wanted to show off a little bit, like, yeah, 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 do you want to see, want to see? I mean, I was taking it. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, show me the x-ray. Yeah, what can you see and blah, blah, blah. But just seeing somebody who's like them, who's kind of cool, you know, it, it makes them <laughs> more comfortable and they, they it gets, it makes sure their faith is restored in the system. And honestly, it's something very small, like smiling or saying, yeah, 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 you know? I, I think so. Akala called it the complexities of the black nod. Yes, yeah, I love, about it. yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's those very small things. And you reminded me of an experience when I was younger that um, I had pneumonia, but because my mom's a nurse, she knew there was something wrong. When mm -hmm. I went to the GP, the GP was like, oh, it's fine. It's just a cold. And then one night I couldn't really breathe that much at all. And um, my mom called the ambulance, got there. A black doctor saw to me and... I remember my mum said to me when the black doctor showed my mum the was it the X-ray I think it was um, yeah, of my chest. of my yeah. chest my chest was blocked up. She said if my mother wasn't a nurse and didn't spot those things that the GP didn't notice, I would have probably been dead. And that went on even further. That when I was um, on the bed and I had a cannula in me, I, I was in so much pain and the nurses didn't really take it seriously. My mum, as a black mother, had to chase them up and to tell them, my son's in pain. My son, my mum really fought my corner. And I think I'm really thankful for my mother, first of all, being a nurse. Mm. And it's because of individuals like yourself, my mother's temperament in terms of you're an advocate, you're not taking it. I'm alive today to even have this conversation. So the work you're doing and the things you're speaking about, they're so important, more than you could honestly honestly ever imagine and i want to ask you when you think about the future and the health outcomes for the black community are you in a positive place do you believe it's going to get better or is your hope starting to dwindle down unfortunately well somebody says someone here is human and i totally agree um dan mark who said that that's so true i just think we need to be taking everybody's if someone tells me they're in pain, I don't care who they are. I'm not going to write that off until I have a reason to write it off. Do you know what I mean? I think every medical student, doctor, GP needs to get out of whatever, you know, systems they've been trained to do or autopilot they're on and really kind of switch back into focus and, and focus on the person in front of them. Um, but in terms of your question, I am an optimist and I truly do believe at the rate that I'm seeing more and more black students getting into medicine, we're having African Caribbean medical societies across the UK. Um, I'm seeing, you know, black doctors in the US doing their thing. I'm seeing black doctors UK, black female doctors UK. Shout out you guys, you featured me. We're, we're taking over, we're, we're visible. Representation is mattering and it's encouraging other students to then go into it. It's kind of like a domino effect. And I think 
it just it just has to get better i i don't see it getting any worse um i just see that the fact that it's been brought to light more black doctors are entering the profession um as long as we keep advocating for our community speaking up about these things and making sure that we're adamant that they cannot go on um and that there will be consequences for these things i do see um health for black people getting better however there are obviously things that are out of our hands like funding you know I'm, the funding in Chelsea is not the same as the funding in Brixton. That's absolutely the way life is, and that disproportionately affects black people. Like I said, it seeps into other um, industry uh, sectors as well, like education, justice, housing, employment. You know, um, black people are more likely to be found in deprived areas. These are things that, unfortunately, stem from so much stuff, government input, um, businesses, and things like that. But honestly. Um, it, it's it's a shame that it's happened, but obviously George uh, Floyd was martyred out of this whole um, process. And I think, and I hope, companies, healthcare, um, education, look into themselves and think about where are we going wrong? Do we need to start teaching black history? Yes, you damn do, because it's more than slavery. Do we need to start thinking, why are we racially profiling black men who are out and about at Tesco in a tracksuit? Why, why are we yeah, doing this? Yeah. Exactly. And I think those, like, a lot of reflection needs to happen. Um, even black people in government, like, guys, you PPEs, you people doing politics, law, we need y'all, okay, to get there. Um, we will see better outcomes for black people in a variety um, of areas in society, hopefully. And when we think about the outcomes for the community in respect to how we interact with the medical field, and healthcare and so much more. You spoke very briefly on mental health and you said, for example, men are, I think if I read a statistic, men are more likely to die under the age of 35 due to mental health reasons. And we're more likely to interact with our mental health services, but we're less likely to be treated and so much more. What do you think about the current mental health? Um, so some people would say it's a pandemic at the moment as well. So how do you feel about that? Men, um, I think that the the poor funding of mental health services in this country is so, so shameful and sad to see. Um, so CALMS, which is the Child and Adult Mental Health Service, is very, very severely underfunded. I've spoken to um, young people who mental health disproportionately affects, um, waiting up to six months to see a counsellor. You know, that's just not realistic. Or it's got to the point of suicide attempts to be admitted to a hospital um and i i think yes it is a pandemic in itself and this like quarantine has uh amplified these sorts of issues for people who yeah. are more isolated social media as well i think with the george floyd um with george floyd's death for black people in particular um we held actually a racial trauma and well-being event as part of the bme and psych um organization i'm part of and people reflected on their experiences how they felt um and how they think um they were all mental health professionals so how they felt themselves and how they hoped to help others and we got, kind of spoke about the tools um and the coping mechanisms that we would advise to others and how we're coping ourselves but i think funding unfortunately we need funding to to actually function um and that needs to be better and i men in general in terms of mental health when it gets into adulthood tend to self-medicate so they tend to turn to drugs or alcohol to alleviate mental health issues um 
Whereas women tend to actually speak about it or go to see the doctor like significantly more than men. And I think with men where we're, where we're missing it, like you said as well, they are happy to go, but that first experience means everything. And the attrition rate is high. They don't come back or went for two sessions, a new psychiatrist or psychologist came in. You can't rebuild that relationship again. You've shared things with somebody that there shouldn't be this high turnover of staff. Um, clinical iceberg exactly and oh it's it's a so much deeper issue and i think for men we definitely need to be focusing on them as a priority as well in terms of mental health um black men in particular raising awareness um having role models that um people who have gone through these things and speaking about it because i'm a very much a person who believes in you being visible if you've had a journey if you've had an experience you can inspire others to keep going or try again um that's what i did with medicine i know like the men who came to that mental health event, I know so many of them who have now gone on to do rap, who've gone on to express themselves and, and talk about how the ordeal they went through basically. And it's inspired other black men to do the same. And then will be a domino effect for black students at school or black boys who are in that, you know, or boys in general who are in that teenage phase where they're, they're cool and nothing hurts them and they're gonna be footballers. And, you know, we need to be, we need to be getting these things early. And I think you've, I was going to ask you, how do we improve the outcomes for men? But I suppose you've slightly touched on that. Mm -hmm. But then my next question to you in a similar vein would be, how do we improve the outcomes for black women at present when we're going through so much? And you know, as, you, as we spoke about before, there's a distrust of everything. So how do we improve those outcomes for black women? And how do you see us actioning those outcomes? These are such hard questions. <laughs> Well, you're I really like to, you're really testing me okay make... make me think i think in terms of like outcomes for black women in maternal mortality would you just mean in general in general and however you general. want it to apply however you want it to apply listening to us period i was gonna literally say that <laughs> what we can do especially because i'm only a student i'm not a doctor which means i have power but obviously not as much as a doctor for example i also will at loads of doctors um who are doing amazing things like the clinic diaries um dr danso um amplifying black women voices amplifying black patient voices in medical school although it's great we get loads of patient um exposure and things like that how ask medical students how many times they actually listen we're we're, we're also in medical school and even when we're medical professionals we're forced to reflect we're given these little diaries we need to write about a patient that you know changed our mindset and did this Ten, take away the assessment part of that and actually reflect on what certain patients have told you because there are certain stories that i will never forget that patients have told me that i've heard on podcasts i mean we have you know the internet now i've heard on podcasts i've heard on you know youtube of experiences of patients and thought, I'm not gonna make that mistake. I'm gonna listen if a black woman tells me that. I'm gonna listen if a black man tells me that. And I think we need to amplify black patient voices um, so much more. Actually, not even black, not even just black, but anybody of a ethnic minority who are not the norm in the UK. Because at the end of the day, if a majority of our NHS staff are white and they're serving the diverse population, let's say London, because I'm gonna speak about, because that's where I am, um, you need to listen to the people who are having the lived experience because as a white person, you're just not going to understand um, their lived experience. But what you can do is you can listen and try 
and know and make a note to yourself oh i'm not going to make that same mistake i'm not going to ignore if a black woman tells me she's in pain especially if she's in got you know she's pregnant so yeah amplifying um black patient voices starting societies i think as students um and even doctors doctors can create like special interest groups um and organizations we've got like black doctors uk modern day medics melanin medics students and doctors have so much more power than they think they do and i think you know having these societies where you're catering to your community bringing patients in doing public health events um for these patients and these these black people in the community are really important engaging them in health where other people just don't give them that chance to engage you know a lot of doctors will tell you you know oh you know oh you have diabetes do you know what this is yeah okay you have that one gp consultation i mean who's who's engaging you further in health who's giving you the leaflets who's giving you the information do you know what social media accounts to follow that show black people who've gone through the same lived experiences i think we need to be making that more of an option for um people in our community to be honest to improve outcomes as well i have zero doubt that you're not going to go on to be one of the best doctors and i think i'll trust my, my health and i'll put it in your hands and i think a lot of people watching this would and because we've got four minutes left, Jess, I want to ask, what does the future hold for you as an upcoming doctor? And how can we support you, I suppose, as well as a, you know, a black doctor or student going to be doctor? What's upcoming for me? Um, I'm just, I, I'm hoping to be a surgeon, not sure what type. Um, and I have had a massive, like, reflection during the quarantine period where like do I want to work for the NHS do I see myself doing it should I go abroad should I seek a better life for myself I think I've been very intent on like the NHS is a sinking ship I'm gonna go but it kind of I know myself and I know it gets, goes against everything that I stand for so I yeah. feel like I'm gonna stick it out so you might catch me um I'm gonna stick it out for a couple of years for sure, but I definitely want to get a more global outlook on health um so I hope to do a bit of traveling because I love to do that. Um, get published a bit more. So I love research. I love bringing to light health inequalities as we've been talking about. Um, and I love surgery and surgical innovation as well. So you taking advantage of the technology that we have available to us to make medicine and surgery so much more personalized. So how can we um, import data from our fitness trackers, our Apple watches, um, and actually look at how to make medicine so much more personalized, taking into account race, ethnicity, culture, the food that you're eating, um, everything to make medicine truly um, efficient and personalized for patients. So I hope to do some more research into that um, and just look at more. So I'm actually in the process of doing my breast cancer publication with my final year medical students who helped me run that breast cancer event um, and also publishing about vitamin B12 status and folate um, for um, why vitamin B12 levels are actually higher in black people compared to other ethnicities. So just kind of doing a lot of research and getting it out there, making black people aware of conditions that affect them. I think a lot of the time, all these journal publications are just available to people who go to uni, but what about the people they're actually affecting in society? We need to make these things open access. Um, and yeah, hopefully being a surgeon, I'll let you know what type. Um, and yeah, just amplifying um, one another's voices. Um, I really want to get involved in, if, if there's any people here who've been patients who want to like tell me their experiences or want to ever talk, I'm always here. Um, I think these Instagram lives are amazing. I'll Thank you. 
happy to do more of these. Um, but yeah, I think I've talked enough. So much sense. <laughs> You've broken so much sense and truth to power. And it's, we're going to have a part two because you're only going to go on to continue to do amazing things. I genuinely believe I speak for a lot of people that have watched this. You've inspired people and you're only aspiring to greatness. And as I said, um, anything you want me to publish or put on my page, I will happily do that. But I'm really excited for what the future holds for you. And I'm walking away from this conversation having learned so much. So I've got to say thank you, most importantly. Yeah. And we'll be keeping in contact for sure. The time's so short, but yeah, we're definitely doing a part two. Do I come back on or later? Um, did you, if we come back on now, I'm going to have to redo it again. No, no, no. It's all good. But yeah, we'll keep in contact, Jess. Thank you so much for Thank coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Definitely. Have a great evening. Bye. You too. Bye. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I look forward to having you again. If you've enjoyed, share, subscribe, follow, and make sure everybody gets to have the blessing that is conversations. And remember, Flower Hour is the podcast where conversations blossom.